All right. This is the first Sunday of Lent, woohoo! Uh, which is the 40 days and six Sundays um, before Easter. And it's a time that traditionally the church prepares and waits uh, for the resurrection of our Christ, our Savior. And, uh, and it's also a time where people tend to um, fast or uh, pray or give alms um, or do some sort of service in order to remember, in order to prepare our hearts um, and in solidarity with Jesus who wandered in the wilderness, who was in the wilderness before his ministry, or the ex people in Exodus who wandered uh, the wilderness for 40 days. We are also on a journey, a Lenten journey, wandering in the desert um, and perhaps stripping ourselves um, of certain things in order to become more attentive, uh, have a heightened awareness of the things of God uh, and focusing on God. And um, love to hear what you guys are doing for Lent or uh, if there's any disciplines that you're taking up. I love this story. It's a, it's a classic and it's really weird. Right? That's all I have to say, is that this story is weird because there's a lot of things that are odd and strange, and actually, I don't have a lot of answers to some things. Um, for instance, why is Jacob wrestling with this random guy at dawn? And is this person God or just a person? Because it says that the person couldn't defeat Jacob, so God can't defeat Jacob? And so this person, or God, cheats, right? He grabs Jacob's thigh and, and bashes it, and uh, dislocating his thigh, he tore a muscle in Jacob's thigh as he wrestled him, and um, the man says, let me go because we've been wrestling all night and dawn is breaking. And then, but then he ends up blessing Jacob because um, Jacob demands of it. Jacob won't let the man go until he blesses him. And when Jacob says, tell me your name, this man oddly says, why do you ask me my name? And Jacob, right after that, names the place Peniel and says, for I have wrestled, I have seen God face to face, and my life has been saved. So I think Jacob kind of deduces that this was actually God he was wrestling with and that God has blessed him and that he has wrestled with God um, and then 32, there's the weird section of that. Therefore, Israelites don't eat the tendon attached to the thigh muscle to this day because the man grabbed Jacob's thigh muscle at the tendon. So very strange. What's going on? I don't know, but we're going to dive into this. What I wanted to start off with is two images or two examples. And the first is one of a baby snake. So you've heard it said that, maybe you've heard it said that a baby snake is the most dangerous of all snakes, right? Have you heard that before? Baby snakes are most dangerous because baby snakes, I've heard it, maybe only I've heard it, but baby snakes, and maybe it's not true, but we'll look it up, you can Google it later, but <laughs> apparently baby snakes don't know how to measure out their venom when they bite their victim. So they just put all their venom out of their fangs. 
And so it's more potent than if an adult snake were to bite you. I don't know if it's true, uh, but that's the case. And the second image that I want to give is that um, as a young boy, I needed to wrestle my father. And I'm grateful that my father wrestled me. And don't tell Janice this because she always tells me not to wrestle with Isaiah. But a young man, a young boy, must learn to wrestle. And why does a young boy need to learn how to wrestle? Because young boys won't learn how, what, won't learn their own strength or their own power unless they're given the chance to wrestle around with their fathers. If you, in the very beginning, teach a young boy continually, don't roughhouse, don't wrestle, don't fight, don't jump on the couch, you may not teach him anything but to be passive because he hasn't learned his own strength, right? If a boy doesn't know his own strength first, he can't understand what it means to hold that strength in stillness so as not to hurt others, right? And maybe I'm overgeneralizing because, see this, I have a scratch on my face? This scratch is from Cammy <laughs> because Cammy just, she's in this, She's in this phase of just hitting me. Um, and she just started preschool, so I'm blaming whatever kids are there that are hitting or teaching her how to hit. But she just hit me, and then the other day, she scratched my face for no reason. And she feels delighted. You can see the delight in her face when I go, ow, like that hurt, Cammy. And she gets really excited that she really affected me, that she had the strength to hurt me. And then it's at that point that I can teach her, no, that hurts Appa, right? No scratching, no hitting. Um, and the same with Isaiah, when we wrestled when he was younger. It's, Janice didn't like it, but when he hit me, or I let him get on top of me, and he actually jumped on my stomach, and it actually hurt, right? He's, it, he was so excited, he shrilled with delight, right? Because he, he felt his own power. He felt his own strength. And I think in that sense, uh, a young boy or a young girl, right, when they know their strength and power and how it affects other people, then you can teach them, hey, not all the time. Or hey, don't hurt other people. So the reason that I bring up uh, that is that a young child and a snake are created to have strength, right? created to uh, be able to defend themselves, be able to take out things in the case of a snake. Um, but I think the question is, as uh, young children age or snakes are refined or young men like Jacob grow up and mature, um, is that they grow to refine that strength. Like how do you grow and refine that strength? and use it correctly. Because uh, quite frankly, I know for us, for me, it's easy to judge Jacob. That ankle grabber, usurper, manipulator, his name means usurper. His name means grab, uh, ankle grabber. Even in the womb, he tried to be the firstborn child, right? He's always scheming. He's a hustler. He's a plotter. He idolizes the blessing and he grabs for it. He doesn't wait for God. This may be so, but what does it mean that he was born 
grabbing ankles, that he was born doing this, or that God blesses Jacob in all his ankle grabbiness nonetheless. And even God told his mother, the, younger sh the older shall serve the younger. There's a war going on in your womb, and the younger will rule the older. That, that's part of God, God's uh, prophecy, part of God's uh, greater plan. But I think either way, what we need to look for is how God is gracious, how God is glorified, how God redeems bad situations and makes them good. What if who Jacob is was created by God uh, for good? And what if who he is in his character, in his personality, is good, is in God's image, but is simply raw and subject to his cultural and familial circumstances. So before we are easy to say, Jacob the manipulator, we need to know that maybe the way I look at it, because I'm, I've always been a small person. I'm not a small person. I'm a short person. <laughs> uh, so, you know, little man, you've heard of little person's disease, right? Like Napoleonic complex, right? Short people always want respect, so they're always beating people up and trying to prove themselves and get angry when people disrespect them and stuff like that. I'm a recovering little person's disease person. <laughs> uh, what if Jacob was like that? What if he what, is a recovering, young, he has younger brother syndrome, right? Or second blessing syndrome. So even in the womb, he's like, Man, why do I have to come out second? Because the older son always gets everything in our culture, right? He gets the blessing, he gets the inheritance, and what do I get? Nothing. So he's like, I'm getting out of here, right? Part of his personality was to fight for everything, to get everything because he didn't know if he was going to get it. He was always second. Right? And so I kind of understand Jacob in this sense. Like, man, if I don't fight for what I need, right, I'm going to get the kimchi kurma in the, the Korean phrase. Kimchi kurma is kimchi sauce at the bottom. Right? It's at the bottom of the kimchi jar. So it's like the sloppy seconds, basically, the leftovers. Right? I remember Janice, before we started dating, saying, didn't you just like that other girl, I don't want to be the kimchi kumar, right? <laughs> right? That means I don't want to be your sloppy seconds, boy. And um, so that was deep, but. <laughs> so I kind of understand Jacob. Like, I mean, if we were honest with ourselves, before judging him, we can kind of say, man, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. It's a tough world that they live in. They're wanderers, they're nomads, and they're trying to survive. And he's trying to find his place in the world. And maybe he goes overboard. And maybe, like, he's a bit aggressive. And maybe he, he's a good strategist, right? He comes up, he schemes very well, and comes up with a couple plans to deny Esau his birthright. Uh, Jacob is a baby snake, if you will, who simply does not know how to distribute his venom. 
Okay, this is just my, like, a take on Jacob. He's a combination of little brother syndrome and small man's disease. Um, he's feisty. He won't take no for an answer. He feels he needs to fight for everything he gets. He refuses to accept the condition of being younger and being second class in his family. He really feels he should get the respect and he feels that he's felt this since the beginning of his life. Um, the other thing that I want to point out is these people in Genesis, these characters that we're reading about, they're not static characters, right? There's great character development, like any story, like any narrative, like real life. We are constantly changing. We are not static. We grow. And what was once immature, right, and annoyed people and was obnoxious becomes refined, becomes something that's beautiful. Isaiah this week went to the principal's office on Friday three times. At the, near the end of the day, I got a call from the principal saying, can you talk to Isaiah right, just to get him straight because his he's driving his teachers crazy. Right? He's trying to, he's just, it's not malicious. He's just standing up on his desk and yelling random things and trying to tell jokes and laughing at inappropriate times. Just can you just get a hold of this kid? And, um, and I did, and yesterday, and I was like, I don't understand this, what's happening? And yesterday at Ultimate, I took him to Ultimate with me, and I got a taste, right, of what this was. He's like, Isaiah apparently wants to be a comedian so badly, um, but his joke telling is really bad. It's not highbrow stuff. It's just like, look at my butt, right? Or, 21? He just likes the number 21. 21, 21? And he's yelling this at the top of his lungs. And at first, the ultimate players were like, he's cute, right? After a while, my friends were like, can you put a muzzle on this kid? Like, shut him up. Um, and to the point of obnoxiousness, right? Um, but thankfully, we are not, none of us are static people. We're always a people in motion. We're growing, we're changing, we're experiencing loss and tragedy. We're suffering, we're traveling through life. And these people, these characters in the Bible are doing the same thing. They're growing. And all the while, here's the God of the universe being with them, redeeming them, calling them, intervening at times, blessing at times. Um, and we all know that we are not the same individuals uh, we were five years ago, even 10 years ago, or 14 years ago. Um, so at the point of our story, Jacob has been with Laban. If you remember, he had to leave Esau. He stole Esau's birthright. He fooled his father. Um, so his mother sent him off to her brother's household back in the homeland. And so he's been in Laban's household working for him for 14 years. So whatever ambition that Jacob had to win his father's blessing and get on a fast track to ballardom has faded away in the pain of reality, being away from home, having to work 14 years uh, for the woman that he actually loved. And he, he's met his match in his uncle, right? Laban is like a schemer as well. Laban's the one who tricked him, and uh, he ended up marrying Leah, 
the older daughter, um, after working for Laban, they agreed that he would work for seven years, then he could marry Rachel. Uh, Laban pu pulled the switcheroo and said, okay, work seven more years and you can have Rachel too. So he met his match in Laban and his uncle convinced him to work another seven years. Um, but it says in the scripture that Jacob gladly worked the seven years because he loved, he was in love with Rachel. Um, so already you see this kind of Jacob's heart changing, Jacob becoming more patient, Jacob uh, becoming more refined. Uh, but this is a great chess match, match between Jacob and Laban because all along um, during these 14 years, Jacob is using his genetic knowledge of genetics, right, to make the flocks, his flocks, I think it's the speckled ones, I'll keep the speckled ones, you keep the solid colored ones, and they made an agreement, and it ends up his flocks were hardier and reproduced more, while Laban's flocks died away and they just didn't have offspring and stuff like that. Um, so that's where Jacob was anyways. Uh, Jacob is running away from Laban's household. He's taken his wives. He's taken his children. He's gained all of these riches and belongings and uh, has huge flocks. And he's going. And he's going back to his home to a place where he knows that the last time he was at home, Esau wanted to kill him. So he doesn't know what's happening. He's afraid. He's getting nervous and anxious as he approaches him. And in our passages, Jacob expresses that he feels trapped. After being very strategic and sending, um, dividing his camp, he says like, hey, if Esau destroys one camp, at least I'll have this other half of my family uh, to run away with. And then he proceeds to take 400 or uh, um, hundreds of his flocks and break them up into groups and says, go spaced apart to Esau. And each time Esau greets you say, and asks you, what is this? This is a gift from your brother Jacob, who is coming back. So Jacob kind of wants to ease in as he like, placate to Esau and say, how are you doing? Like, here's my gifts. You know, I submit to you. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, so he's making these strategic plans. And it's interesting, he lines, he separates the group, and in the back is Rachel and Joseph, like the things that are most precious to him and closest to him, Rachel, his son Joseph, through Rachel, and then himself in the back, it says. And so this is where, uh, this is where the scripture picks up, is that Jacob stayed apart by himself, and he wrestles. He wrestles, and he feels trapped. Before him is his home country with Esau, and behind him um, is Laban and the, the life he's leading. And Jacob is kind of like a cat, right? A cat is sly, a cat is nimble, a cat has nine lives. Jacob is a cat, but when a cat is trapped, it will claw and bite its way out, right? And as Jacob feels trapped, a wounded animal trapped will fight. And this is what Jacob does. He sees this man and he wrestles him. And can't you just feel the frustration? Like, what are you doing with my life, God? 
Where am I going? Right? Wasn't I blessed? Did you not bless me? Then how come I, I'm here and I'm, I feel threatened? Right? And I'm not in control of my life. And actually, I'm subject to these forces. And these forces can take me out. My brother can take me out. I'm at his mercy. I'm at my wit's end. What are you doing? And I think a lot of us who have been in the desert or have experienced a long period of waiting for things know about this frustration, right? I remember my single years. When will you bring me a wife, God? Right? Please, I need to meet someone. And God's laughing up there. Well, you're not that easy, Dave. <laughs> um, anyway, that's another story. But so we see this wrestling, right? And you see the character of Jacob, his personality, still played out, right? But we see it. The scripture kind of plays it out as something positive, right? Jacob is dogged, right? He won't let go. Even if he's wrestling God, he's grabbing God and saying, and his hip has just been broken. Right? He's torn a tendon in his hip. And God cheated, by the way. God couldn't beat him, so he took out his hip. But Jacob is limping. It makes me think of a funny Monty Python movie where <laughs> they keep chopping his limbs off. He's like, come back here so I can bite your ankles. Right? Jacob is limping and is like, come on, keep wrestling me. Bless me. And the, and, and the guy is like, let me go. We've been wrestling all night. Let me go. He's like, ah, I won't let go of this doggedness. I won't let go until you bless me. I won't let go until you bless me. Right? If you think of this as a prayer or intercession, how beautiful is that? God, will you do this? God, will you heal me? God, will you heal this person? God, will you bring peace and justice in our land? God, will you reconcile these relationships? God, will you grow these people to be uh, followers of you? God, I won't let go. I won't let go. I won't let go until you tell me that you love me, that you're with me, that you've been with me, and that your promises are true. I won't let go. And there's something about that, that kind of doggedness, right? That fight that allows, creates um, a place where this man's God blesses Jacob. And finally he says, um, I bless you and your name will be Israel. Your name won't be Jacob any longer, but Israel, because you struggled with God and with men, and you won. You struggled with God and men, and you won. And then God, Jacob names the place Peniel, because I've seen God face to face, and my life has been saved. 
And I think there's good news in this because, at least for me, I grew up in a family situation where it's very hierarchical, Korean, old school, right? Dad is boss, right? And I hardly ever argued with my father. I was afraid to argue with him. We played chess. I let my father beat me in chess even though I can beat him. Right? There's just this kind of deprecation. And the idea that one could struggle with God, right? Or actually see God face to face. You know, like with authority figures, you might not want to like look them in the face directly. But here, Jacob, if I met God, I'd be like, God! <laughs> you know, like, ah, I cannot gaze upon the glory of God. But Jacob wrestles with God. He's seen God face to face. And he struggled with him. Right? There's an honesty in that relationship. There's a, a longing for deep, depth, deeper, deeper, deeperness, depth, and intimacy. To see God face to face. Look at me. Let's have a conversation. And that's good news. It's like our God is someone we can come to and wrestle with and be like, man, come on, God. I need this. Right? That you can come to God in prayer and wrestle, look at him face to face. That's good news. Um, so he makes it a place of worship. He remembers the place. I've seen God face to face, and my life has been saved. And that's the title of the sermon, that, to see face to face and live. That we can see God face to face. We can meet him face to face. And in that face to face is life, right? And I think that's what God has wanted all along. Right? You're searching after these promises. You've got your plans. You're going to the left, you're going to the right, you're doing this, you're doing this. I just want you to look at me. Right? I'm right here. I'm the one who blesses. I'm the one who blesses. So the next section, the reason why I love these two sections together is because of the end in verse 10 of 33. Jacob is afraid. He finally approaches Esau. Um, and at the end, Jacob says, no, please do me the kindness of accepting my gifts. Seeing your face is like seeing God's face since you have accepted me warmly. So this theme of face-to-faceness, right? Jacob has seen God face-to-face, and he's gained life and in reconciling with his brother Esau, he says, seeing your face, being face-to-face -face with you, is like being face-to-face -face with God. In reconciling with you and looking you in the face, right, it's, it's life. Reconcili in reconciliation is life. Because in the face of our brother, our sister, our fellow human beings, um, is the face of God. And that's good news too, right? And it's, it's also hard news, right? So anything that we say as we're interacting with people, as we're blessing or cursing people, or living throughout our day, in their face is the face of God, right? And the question is, will we speak words of life in those spaces? 
or words of death in those spaces? And will we seek out reconciliation in tough relationships where there's tension? Will we look someone face to face and be like, I'm sorry. I want to draw closer to you. I want us to be right and whole again. Because in this is a, is a beautiful example of reconciliation between brothers. And in that reconciliation, God is present. Right? God is present in that, and there's life. Amen. Um, the other thing that I think is beautiful is through this all, these 14 years, Jacob has been blessed with many riches and a huge flock. Right? It, ca it came about not as he expected. Right? He had to wait for it. It took a long time. Circuitous route. Esau, who was so mad that he didn't get his father's blessing, is like, I don't need your flocks. Look at mine. And there's like 400 men and like 5,000 flocks. He's like, I'm cool. <laughs> you know? God has blessed me. Right? Life is good. And he, the anger that was once there, it doesn't matter, right? All that drama before, it doesn't matter. It's not there. You know, they've both been, they've both been blessed because God did it. God did it. The final point um, that I'd like to make or, or point out is that weird part about the tendon, right? Therefore, Israelites don't eat the tendon attached to the thigh muscle because the angel of God pulled out, right, Jacob's thigh at the joint. Um, it's really interesting that in Israel's very history and their identity, they don't eat the tendon, right? In their very identity is a limp. Does that make sense? Now, part of Israel's identity is that they recognize or memorialize Jacob's limp. And we were talking about this in a, a kind of a team that, sermon team that helps me prep. And the whole idea that when we wrestle with God, Jacob does not come out perfect, right? Jacob does not come out perfect and clean and like, ooh, it's all good, God bless me. He came out limping and wounded and Apparently, he, he probably limped for the rest of his life, right? And if you turn that on ourselves, right, would you wrestle with God if you knew that you wouldn't, you would come out maybe wounded even? Like, you wouldn't come out clean and perfect out of the situation. Actually, God wants to wrestle with you and wants to deal with your stuff, wants to be with you, but maybe in that being together, in that, and that wrestling, you actually have your thigh torn out, right? Whatever that means. And, and you're, you're with a limp, right? Does that sound, like, does that sound sexy? <laughs> like, okay, I want to wrestle with God so you could take my head out. But that's another mystery. That's another strange part of this is we might not always come out clean when we're, look at God face to face and struggle with him. Right? He might come out a little wounded, imperfect, 
but we will be blessed and he will rename us, right? Just as he renamed Jacob Israel, he will rename us and give us, draw, bring us closer to our truer selves, our wholer selves in that process. Um, and I think Jacob, he's really been refined that the things, the qualities that he had that were kind of obnoxious when he was younger are now qualities that um, make him a better person, right? Make him a better leader or make him a, um, someone that God can really use and, and, uh, and bless. Um, so on your, on your papers, on your chairs are papers, and on one side there's some response questions and I'd like to take some time to write on those as we continue in worship. Um, but the questions are in, in two parts. What is a place in your life you are or really want to wrestle with God over? What places in your life do you want to wrestle with God over? And how are you needing God to bless you? And then secondly, what is a relationship you would really like to see healing and reconciliation in? Um, and what is your biggest fear as you approach that person? What is your biggest fear as you approach that person? And if any of you have seen the movie Crash, and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't know the quote, uh, but in that um, there's this quote where they say, sometimes you just got to crash into each other to know that you're really alive, to know who you are and really alive. And this that quote really resonates with me in terms of this passage is sometimes we have to just butt up against each other. We have to crash into God and crash into one another in order to know who we truly are inside. Let's pray.